You're listening to a History Hub podcast. History Hub is based at the School of History at University College Dublin. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to historyhub.ie. In this episode, a recording of Holocaust Education Ireland's annual Holocaust Memorial Day lecture. The 2023 lecture was given by Dr. Felix Klein, who is Federal Government Commissioner for Jewish Life in Germany and the Fight Against Antisemitism. His lecture was entitled Anti-Semitism Today and How to Counter It. The lecture was organised by Holocaust Education Ireland in association with University College Dublin and the German Embassy in Dublin. It took place on the 15th of February 2023 in Dublin Castle. The lecture was followed by a panel discussion featuring Holocaust survivor Tommy Reichenthal, Robert Gerwart, Professor of Modern History at UCD, Mark Jones, Assistant Professor in Global History at UCD, Evelyn Byrne from the Irish Refugee Protection Programme, and Tom O'Dowd, Chairperson of Holocaust Education Ireland. The event was chaired by Anastasia Crickley, former chairperson of the UN Committee for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. Good evening, everybody. Uh, I'm very glad to be able to welcome old friends and new to our annual Holocaust Memorial Lecture, which Dr. Felix Klein, and you're very, very welcome, will present on anti-Semitism today and how to combat it. For those of you who are new friends, and indeed for yourself, Dr. Klein, who may not know a lot about Holocaust Education Ireland, we're an independent national non-profit organisation working to educate people about it, of Ireland and elsewhere indeed about the Holocaust and its consequence. We seek to raise awareness about anti-Semitism and to promote Holocaust education and memorialization. Some things that you may be clear about that we are associated with are some of the things you know which happen every year are the annual Holocaust Memorial Day, which takes place on the last Sunday in January. On that occasion, we remember the six million Jews, but we also acknowledge other minority and marginalised groups who were murdered. We have had particular training and continuous professional development programmes for the teachers who take on the challenging work of teaching about the Holocaust. And one of the projects that you may know a little about, which is also a project that's undertaken on a European-wide basis, is the Crocus Project, which seeks to remember and memorialise the children who were murdered in the Holocaust. Uh, tonight's annual lecture, and could I add also that last year we were very glad to have the first Salprestina put down in Ireland outside St. Catherine's School in Donore Avenue. Our annual lecture tonight, though, is a stark reminder of the many entry points needed to address racism in today's world, and I'm afraid also in today's Ireland. Speaking as I do, as somebody who was for a number of years chair of the United Nations Treaty Body on Racism, the UN Committee responsible for the, for the monitoring of the implementation by all of the countries which have ratified it, 
which thankfully includes this country and indeed Germany, of the International Covenant on Racism, I can only say that it would be a pleasure to be able to stand here and say that racism is on the wane. But racism is embedded in our systems. And whether, as the ISAR tells us, it's on purpose or in effect, the discrimination and the obliteration that it causes, the denial of rights that it brings, remains present. The legacies of slavery and of colonialism are well associated, but the perpetuation of anti-Semitism and indeed of a number of other forms of racism are very present in the globalisation of hate, which I have to say have also taken some hold here. More hold than we would wish but at the same time, I'm very glad to be able tonight, as, we into, as I move to introduce our presenter, I'm very glad to be able to say that communities here continue to support people seeking refuge, in spite of a small number of extremists who spread dangerous lies and rumours. I salute those communities and their courage and call for that courage to be reflected in support, in continued and ongoing support from government, but also in political support. I look forward to Dr. Klein's lecture for its focus on what can be done, not just on anti-Semitism, but also on how to combat it today. His role means that he's particularly expert, not just in analysis, but also in advice and in support for the actions that need to be taken. You will have read his biography, but let me remind you that Felix Klein joined the Foreign Service in 1994 after studying law in Freiburg and in London. He assumed his current role in 2018 in light of intensive discussions about an increase in anti-Semitism in Germany and how this phenomenon could best be countered at the federal level. He's the first holder of this position, and I think the fact that he still holds it is in itself testament to the excellent way in which he goes about doing his job. Dr. Klein, you're very, very welcome, and the floor is yours. Thank you very much for this friendly and warm introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, I was really delighted to accept your invitation to speak to you today. I'm very grateful to Holocaust Education Ireland for allowing me to join the ranks of distinguished and eminent speakers who have delivered the annual Holocaust Memorial Lecture before me. As the Federal Government Commissioner for Jewish Life in Germany and the fight against anti-Semitism, I would like to speak to you today primarily about my practical and applied experience in dealing with the challenge of anti-Semitism. Ladies and gentlemen, the founding values of the European Union are respect for human dignity, freedom, democracy, equality, the rule of law, and the protection of human rights, including the rights of individual members of minorities. These values 
define our European way of life, both in Ireland and in Germany. But what does that mean for our daily lives? In Germany, newspapers have reported a number of attacks in recent years on people wearing kippas with headlines such as men wearing kippah is hit in the face or men wearing kippah faces anti-Semitic insults and threats, to mention just two from the past year. And these attacks take place in public, on the street as people are going about their daily lives. Charlotte Knobloch, who survived the Holocaust and has long led the Jewish congregation in Munich, wrote on Twitter about one such attack, I quote, if Jewish life in our country has to remain hidden, it has no future. There must at least be severe penalties for the attackers. As the Federal Government Commissioner for Jewish Life in Germany and the fight against anti-Semitism, I can sum up my demands in a single statement. Jewish life must be both safe and visible. To be visible, it must be safe. But as Charlotte Knobloch stated it so neatly, to have a future in Europe, Jewish life must be visible. That is why I am working to increase public awareness that anti-Semitism is not only a threat for Jews, but that it is also an attack on our democracy and its values, I just quoted, which endangers our cohesion as a society. You have also mentioned the problem. Anti-Semitism is an attack on our shared values, on freedom, tolerance and equality, and thus an attack on us all. And so, fighting anti-Semitism is a battle for our values, for the integrity and credibility of our democracy. And uh, it is a battle for the values on which the European Union was founded. Anyone who must hide their identity or religion or who is threatened and attacked because of them, cannot fully enjoy their most basic freedoms. If you ask members of Jewish congregations in Germany, they will say that in general they have trust in our society. I was very pleased to hear that the same applies for many uh, Jews here in Ireland. But this trust is being increasingly eroded, at least in Germany, because people are seeing that almost 70 years after the end of the Shoah, Europe's oldest form of hatred not only persists, but is also becoming global and is gaining in strength. But how did anti-Semitic ideas become so prevalent all over the world? Why do hate and violence against Jews keep resurfacing? As they have been passed down from generation to generation, age-old anti-Semitic prejudice, resentments and stereotypes have displayed again and again a remarkable ability to transform and adapt to these debates and circumstances of the time. We saw this in the worldwide protests against COVID-19 policies, which spread updated anti-Semitic conspiracy myths. This example shows very clearly how anti-Semites manage time and again to exploit crises in our society for their hateful ends. Racist anti-Semitism, which caused so much suffering, 
has lost importance in many European countries, including Germany, which based its brutal extermination of European Jews on this form of anti-Semitism. Fortunately, racist anti-Semitism finds little support in mainstream society today uh, in Germany and in Ireland. But most right-wing extremist groups now avoid making overtly racist anti-Semitic remarks in public. Instead, they seek support for their crude convictions by addressing controversial social issues. Some cultural and racist elements can still be found in current anti-Semitic stereotypes, such as the attitude that Jews are simply different from us and don't fit in. Jews, Jewish people are suspected of being foreign elements who do not belong to one's own group. This is the century-old anti-Judaism. But anti-Semitism is not simply one type of racism. This is very important to point out. Jewish people are viewed as being too rich and powerful and as overly civilized. By contrast, racist stereotypes usually depict their subjects as inferior, lacking in culture, and relatively powerless. And this is the reason why the federal German government uh, appointed and created this position um, uh, of the commissioner for the fight only against anti-Semitism, exclusively this form of discrimination. A major driver of anti-Semitic prejudice is envy. Envy that stigmatizes Jews for seeming to be better off, wealthy, and powerful. This notion, of course, has very little to do with real Jewish people. The Limerick boycott here in Ireland of 1904 and 1906 combined classic Christian anti-Judaism with new forms of anti-Semitism in which conspiracy myths about the supposed wealth of the local Jewish community in Limerick played a role, and action took the form of a boycott. Some of the demonstrations today which discredit Israel as the long arm of American imperialism remind me of this. Ladies and gentlemen, many people would certainly like to believe that anti-Semitism is foreign to our culture. I would like to share this too, of course, as it puts the ideology of the National Socialists and their horrific crimes against the Jewish population of Europe at a far remove. But is this view historically correct? If you study history, you will soon realize that anti-Semitism was not invented by the Nazis, although their crimes, their persecution, and extermination of Jewish people were on an unprecedented scale. On the contrary, Anti-Judaism and anti-Semitism are rooted in centuries of discrimination. The history of Jews in Ireland begins unhappily too. The Annals of Innisfallen, the oldest existing chronicle of Ireland, dating from the year 1079, provide us with this passage, I quote, Five Jews came from overseas with gifts for Talach, and they were sent back again oversee, end of quote. In the medieval world, in the medieval period, anti-Judaism drew on mythical and religious beliefs and ideas about the end of the world. 
The best known of these is likely the blood libel in which Jews were accused of murdering Christian children in order to use their blood for their religious rituals. And although, of course, Christian anti-Judaism did not lead directly to Auschwitz, no, such a deterministic view would be simplistic and wrong. At the same time, however, it is possible to trace lines of reception. So, anti-Semitism is by no means an anomaly, an anomaly in our culture. It is not a marginal or isolated phenomenon. On the contrary, anti-Semitic patterns of thought recur throughout our history and remain with us today. Of course, the construction of an other is not limited to European history. Examples of exclusion and discrimination can be found in many non-European cultures too. The frightening thing about anti-Semitism, though, is its stubborn persistence and its ability to transform itself to become socially acceptable as it has successfully done again and again, unfortunately. The most recent form of anti-Semitism to strive for mainstream social acceptance is undoubtedly Israel-related anti-Semitism. This is not only widespread in Germany and Ireland, it's a global phenomenon. And it becomes especially evident whenever the Middle East conflict flares up. It often goes hand in hand with attacks on Jewish institutions and with demonstrations where anti-Semitic slogans are chanted and Israel flags are burned. At my personal initiative, we recently made the burning of foreign flags punishable under criminal law in Germany, by the way. Almost two years ago, a large group of people carrying Palestinian and Turkish flags gathered in front of the synagogue in the city of Gelsenkirchen in Western Germany and shouted anti-Jewish slurs. I have no sympathy for the reaction of the town's mayor who responded to these incidents by having the Israel flag in front of the town hall removed out of fear of confrontation. In my view, this is not a signal of de-escalation, but rather capitulation to intolerance. On the whole, such incidents have revealed a shocking level of anti-Semitic resentment in our society across many different political milieus in Germany. People often hasten to claim that this is a matter of whether it is possible to criticize Israeli government policy. This is not true. Of course, Israel's policies can be criticized. And our foreign minister, Anna-Leda Baerbock, has together with her colleagues uh, of the UK, France, Italy, and the US uh, at the beginning of the week issued a clear statement uh, that criticizes the settlement policy of the current Israeli government. And uh, those of us who are familiar with Israel know how fiercely controversial political issues are debated within the country itself. We see uh, demonstrations against the judicial reforms uh, in Israel now uh, very often in our TVs. A country, Israel is a country which is, by the way, the only democracy in its region. What I frequently see is a pattern in which Israel is used as an indirect tactic for expressing anti-Semitic 
resentments. This is specifically expressed in anti-Israel anti-Semitism and in resentments that hold Jewish people in, country, in countries all around the world collectively responsible for the policies of the state of Israel, even though, of course, they are citizens of other countries and they are not Israelis. This often leads to a lack of solidarity with Jewish people from progressive political milieus in particular. To this day, victim-blaming and denial of history and with them deflecting of guilt are core features of German anti-Semitism. For example, such rhetoric claims that Israel's treatment of the Palestinians is comparable to or worse than the acts committed by the Nazis. In parallel to this, the indirect tactic of anti-Israel anti-Semitism has been establishing itself for decades with little public pushback, which has enabled it to develop into a global ideology. To me, it appears to act as the glue binding together a worldview that has made the formation of alliances across different political camps, from the far right to the far left, a reality despite the fundamental differences between these groups on other social and political issues. Such arguments are advanced, for example, by the worldwide so-called BDS movement. BDS stands for Boycott, Disinvestment and Sanctions. It presents itself, at first glance, as a seemingly harmless campaign advocating for a more just world, but its demands and tactics must ultimately be considered as anti-Semitic, even if the movement claims otherwise. This is shown by their arguments and analogies, which aim to place not only Israeli government policies towards the Palestinians, but also the mere existence of Israel in historical continuity with the crimes of colonialism. For example, a BDS event that takes place annually around the world is called Israeli Apartheid Week. The very name of this event implies that Israel is equivalent to the apartheid regime of South Africa. The BDS campaign's tactics include academic and cultural boycotts, which are designed to hold all Israeli collectively responsible, and which also use guilt by association to exert pressure on universities and on organizers and hosts of concerts, exhibitions, readings, etc., in late 2021, in an act of support for the BDS movement, the Irish novelist Sally Rooney refused to sell Hebrew language translation rights for her, no for her novel, Beautiful World, Where Are You?, to an Israeli publisher. So she only wanted to, to, um, uh, to, to support BDS. And uh, this, I think, is outrageous because... Yet she, because yet she had previously seen no problem with having translations of her works published in Russia or China. This example also makes clear how closely tied the BDS movement is to the three Ds of anti-Semitism formulated by the former director of the, of the Jewish agency, Nathan Sharansky. The three Ds stand for delegitimization, demonization, and especially relevant here, double standards. Unfortunately, 
The BDS movement enjoys widespread support also here in Ireland, even in Parliament. In the Dole A. Rin debate of 25th of May 2021, the Sinn Féin representative, Marit Farrell, opened her statement with the following words, and I quote, Perhaps there is no other Western country in the world whose people feel the same sense of solidarity with the Palestinian people quite as do the people of Ireland. But what is achieved by solidarity that turns a blind eye? Is it really interested in peace or just in creating a new sense of identity by constructing a new enemy, another? In the same debate, the Sinn Féin representative Patricia Ryan mused on the parallels she saw between the films Schindler's List and Born in Gaza. But I have not come here to criticize Irish politics. I have enough tasks and problems in Germany. It's just that I am repeatedly astonished and alarmed by how similar the tools and tactics of delegitimizing Israel are and how often they go hand in hand with denial and distortion of the Holocaust. In Germany, we are particularly sensitive to BDS activities because their protests in front of department stores selling Israeli products remind us of the Nazis' April 1933 boycott of Jewish businesses, which had the slogan, don't buy from Jews. These actions were the start of systematic marginalization, persecution, and extermination of Jews in Germany. A resolute stance against BDS by policymakers and civil society has made it difficult for the movement's activities to gain a foothold in Germany. In 2019, for example, the German Bundestag, our parliament, voted by a large majority to adopt a cross-party motion entitled Firmly Oppose the BDS Movement Fight Anti-Semitism. This motion designated the BDS campaign's arguments and methods as anti-Semitic. Nonetheless, BDS remains an active player in fostering resentment and hatred of Israel through its demonization. Especially when Jewish voices point out problematic developments, we should and must pay attention. Structures need to be created to ensure that this takes place. There need to be focal points and people designated as responsible for, for ensuring that Jewish perspectives are taken into account, are visible and heard, especially within institutions and at high-profile events that strongly influence public opinion and the public image of Jewish people, such as the Germany's largest contemporary art show, the Documenta. Maybe you have uh, not, uh, taken um, uh, note of, of that scandal we saw last year in this art show where uh, pieces of art were shown um, publicly in Germany at, uh, with a, uh, in a public festival that was supported by uh, the state, uh, pictures that could have been uh, published by the Nazi chronicle Der Stürmer, for instance, absolutely outrageous. And although um, Jewish voices warned um, uh, in, uh, before the uh, documenta took place that anti-Semitic content would be shown, they did not receive enough attention. 
What happened at Documenta was the spread of anti-Islamism under the guise of artistic freedom. Fortunately, the majority of the public in Germany were not taken in by it. This must not happen again, and I hope that the right lessons will be learned from this experience. What is ultimately imperative is to, to make this seeming normalization of hatred apparent. Anti-Semitism is an old phenomenon that is taking on new forms. I cannot emphasize this enough. That is why we must succeed in breaking this cycle, because no society should grow accustomed to hate, regardless of what political source it is fed by. Hatred corrodes a society. The world has enough horrendous examples of where hatred of minorities leads. Leads. I regard it as a success that, as, that we, as EU countries, have been able to agree on making the fight against anti-Semitism a regular part of the agenda across all uh, policy fields. The fact that the European Commission has presented its anti-Semitism strategy is also a success. These were both very important steps in the right direction. In November last year, we in Germany adopted our first national strategy against anti-Semitism and for Jewish life, which can provide guidance in policymaking and in civil society as we continue our work and build on what is already working. So, ladies and gentlemen, what can be done? What is to be done then, though? I think, first of all, it is necessary to accept the historical responsibility for the crimes committed against the Jewish population. Every form of relativizing or minimizing these crimes or of blaming the victims, which is, of course, especially relevant for Germany, must be opposed. We have voices in Germany, for instance, who say Jews talk too much about the Holocaust. This is uh, anti-Semitic. This uh, takes around victim and perpetrator. If, if you blame Jews, to talk too much about the Holocaust, this is uh, absolutely unacceptable. Second, we need greater awareness of the different expressions of anti-Semitism in various, various areas of our culture. We must respect the religious and cultural autonomy of Jewish people. At the same time, it is important to recognize what and how much more we have in common. And last but not least, we need to show more openness and genuine interest in Jewish life and our Jewish neighbors. We must learn that Jewishness is not made up of religious rituals alone, but that Jewish identity can also be secular. For example, in Berlin, there is a very vibrant scene of young Jewish people, many of them from Israel, who actively express their Jewish identity in a secular way. That is why it is an especially important goal for me that Jewish life should not be perceived as something foreign, but rather as a natural part of our cultural life and, and of our society. And uh, it is important to create structures, as I already mentioned. In 2019, the Conference of Minister-Presidents in Germany, together with then-Chancellor Merkel, established a permanent joint federal and state commission in which I am working together closely with 16 of my colleagues, the anti-Semitism commissioner, commissioners of Germany's federal states. 
We suggest projects and legislative initiatives, and we bring joint proposals, for example, in the area of education, to the responsible bodies in order to raise awareness among policymakers and the public across Germany about preventing and anti-Semitism and fostering Jewish life. For instance, one of our proposals is to um, systematically train teachers uh, on how to deal with anti-Semitism in schoolyards. This is very important. It should not be ignored uh, when we have anti-Semitic ch chats in, in student groups, for instance. Another um, proposal we made is uh, to revise school books. Many German st uh, stu uh, students only get to know, know about Judaism when in history the Holocaust is taught. And uh, this um, uh, means that uh, the first time German students uh, know about Judaism is, uh, is a, a prosecution uh, 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 history. Uh, they see the Jews uh, in, the, in the cartoons published by the Nazis, or they see these horrible uh, photos uh, from the concentration camps, and this automatically um, causes, of course, a negative perception of Jews. We have to get rid of um, the fact that people, when they hear the word Jews, they think of the Holocaust, the, midi, the, midi, um, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, or anti-Semitic attacks. Jews have contributed to the history uh, of, of the continent, as many other groups too, and this has to be um, made uh, clear. Another important thing is that we have to um, gorge the anti-Semitism in our society and, uh, and to assess it. Studies show that, for example, in Germany, about 10% of the population hold deeply rooted anti-Semitic views, and about 20% are receptive to anti-Semitic ideas and narratives. The police maintain statistics on politically motivated crimes, but police statistics only include those anti-Semitic incidents that are punishable under criminal law. In 2021, we have registered an all-time peak of more than 3,000 anti-Semitic crimes in Germany. Um, so this means almost five anti-Semitic crimes every day in Germany. But the, the daily anti-Semitism uh, suffered by, by German Jews uh, is not being uh, um, uh, registered in the cr criminal statistics. A hurtful phrase, an offensive comment, insults hurled at people on the street or on public transport because they are perceived as Jewish. These sorts of incidents in public places don't always constitute criminal offenses or simply aren't reported and they often leave their victims feeling abandoned. In this area, we really need to improve the information we are working with. And that's why I have, I have made efforts for Germany to establish a nationwide decentralized reporting system that is run by a civil society organization and provides us with more reliable data on these incidents. It is... Uh, uh, really um, uh, important, uh, and the information we have already collected shows that in recent years, anti-Semitism has become ever more open and visible. And uh, this is important also for our prevention work, of course, because uh, you need to, to cure, let's just say, uh, a Holocaust uh, distortion anti-Semitism in another way uh, than um, an anti-Semitism that is Israel-related and comes from a Muslim 
person, for instance. Uh, so uh, it is very important to know how uh, anti-Semitism is being expressed in our country, in which groups, uh, and uh, this is uh, um, where we then tailor uh, solutions for this kind of groups, for this uh, kind of areas, etc. This is um, uh, very, very important. And uh, in the, I already um, mentioned that in the COVID-19 pandemic, we had really an explosion of anti-Semitism. Um, a study funded by Euro the European Commission evaluated um, uh, uh, um, about the on the rise of anti-Semitism online, evaluated, evaluated German and French language posts on Facebook, Twitter, and Telegram, and their findings were alarming. In the first two months of 2021, anti-Semitic keywords were used 13 times more often by German language accounts than in the same period of 2020. The increase for French accounts was sevenfold. In both languages, anti-Semitic content was shared, liked and commented on more than half a million times on Facebook. On Twitter, such, account, such content received more than three million likes and retweets. And not least, according to the report, German language anti-Semitic content on Telegram was viewed more than two billion times total. At the same time, the particular anti-Semitic conspiracy myths and stereotypes that were being shared changed constantly between the different phases of the pandemic. During the initial outbreak and spread of the virus, it was described inter alia as a Zionist biological weapon. At the protests against public measures to contain the pandemic, the most prevalent form of anti-Semitism was trivializing and minimizing the Holocaust. Perhaps you are familiar with the protesters' Enos habit of wearing stars of David with the word unvaccinated, so comparing the unvaccinated people with the Jews of the 1930s and 40s. I talked with representatives of local governments and showed them ways to approach this problem because uh, this is definitely uh, Holocaust um, distortion and this is punishable under German law. Ladies and gentlemen, the study also provides an impression of how just a few unusually active accounts can generate a disproportionate share of the total volume of anti-Semitic propaganda. And identifying and neutralizing such accounts, which act as multipliers of the content they push, could therefore be a possible approach to reducing anti-Semitic content overall. So the study's authors also recommend comprehensive regulation in this area, raising awareness so that anti-Semitism can be more easily recognized, and focusing more research specifically on anti-Semitism online and the interactions between online and offline anti-Semitism. In Germany, we have a new law called the Network Enforcement Act that entered into force in 2017. It obligates major social media companies to review reports of certain kinds of illegal online content, such as public incitement and to remove or block any content that is found to be illegal. Starting next year, another new law, the Act to Fight Right-Wing Extremism and Hate Crime, will also obligate social media companies 
to report illegal and illegal content to the Federal Criminal Police of the Office. The reporting requirement applies in particular to criminal offenses with, which threaten peaceful coexistence in our society and have lasting negative effects on free expression on social media. The responsible unit at the Federal Criminal Police Office will then forward the reports to the relevant local investigating office, uh, authorities. We also must continue to pay attention to the content that is spread via these technological means. Um, I want also briefly to, um, uh, to uh, mention a cornerstone we have in the fight against anti-Semitism, and this is a vital culture of remembrance. And this is why, of course, your organization is very active. I think a culture of remembrance is important, first of all, of course, for honoring the memory of the victims. Precisely by looking at the fate of individuals do we begin to gain a sense of the incomprehensible scale of the crimes against humanity committed by the Nazis and their accomplices in excluding, expelling, and murdering Jews. I'm very happy that the Holocaust survivor is uh, here. Um, and uh, it's really, your work is so important, uh, it cannot be overemphasized. This is really uh, 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 extraordinary. And in preparing for this lecture, I looked a little bit also in the, to a history of Jews in Ireland. And um, again and again, I came across people who took a brave stand against anti-Semitism. I am thinking, of, for example, of Mary Elizabeth Elmes, who in 2013 became the first Irish woman to be honored by Yad Vashem as one of the righteous amongst the nations. At great, at great risk to herself, she saved 200 Jewish children in Vichy, France, from certain deaths in concentration camps by hiding them or smuggling them out of the country. Her story shows that one always has a choice. It shows how important cho the choices of every single individual can be. And these, uh, these stories have to be uh, told in uh, schools, it, at exhibitions, in the public, in TV programs, etc. This is really um, very, very important. Of course, for Germany's federal government, Fighting anti-Semitism and remembering the victims of National Socialism have the highest priority. They are the firm foundation on which government policy is based, regardless of whether it's uh, CDU or SPD-led. However, when we talk about Jewish life in Europe, we of course must not limit our focus to fighting anti-Semitism and remembering the victims of the Holocaust, which I already mentioned. And this is the reason why it was so important for us in Germany to celebrate the existence of 1,700 years of Jewish life in Germany, which we did in 2021 and 2022. The year-long celebration focused on increasing public awareness of Jewish life today and its long history. Actually, the um, data was, uh, is referring to uh, uh, the to a decree issued by Roman Emperor Constantine the Great in the year 321 that proved the existence of uh, Jews in Cologne. During this anniversary year, more than 2,000 events in the fields of art, culture, civic education, civil society, religion, tradition, science, and research were held despite the restrictions due to the COVID-19 
pandemic. There were numerous opportunities to learn, meet new people and actively participate. Such interaction between Jews and non-Jews helps develop understanding and empathy. Events like those during the anniversary are often the first time non-Jews actually met Jews in person. And that is exactly what the Central Council of Jews in Germany had in mind when it launched its project Meet a Jew. Schools, universities, sport clubs and other organizations can invite a Jewish volunteer to speak to their group about daily life as a Jew and about the diversity of Jewish life in Germany. The aim is to overcome stereotypes by presenting a wide range of authentic Jewish voices and perspectives. We urgently need more initiatives as courageous and innovative as this one. The, flower, the flowering of Jewish life in Germany is visible on an institutional level as well. I would like to mention just two other examples that show how Jewish life is a growing part of daily life in Germany. A year and a half ago, Rabbi Solt Bala was appointed as the first military rabbi for Germany's armed forces, the Bundeswehr. His job is to help Bundeswehr members of all faiths with ethical and moral issues and to look after their emotional and spiritual well-being. After an interruption lasting nearly a century, this Jewish military chaplaincy revives a tradition that existed until shortly after the First World War. Jewish chaplains, including the prominent rabbi, scholar, theologian, theologist, and Holocaust survivor Leo Beck, served in the German military in the late 19th and early 20th century. Solt Bala, who was one of the first rabbis to be ordained in Germany since 1938, expressed the following wish, Jewish life should become normality, not only in German society, but also in the Bundeswehr. Another example is the construction of a new Jewish academy in Frankfurt. The Jewish academy is intended to share the intellectual discourse on Judaism with a broader public and, pro and provide information for teachers, law enforcement officers, and, other, and others working in relevant areas of society. Both the Protestant and the Catholic churches have established uh, church academies for a long time. So why shouldn't the Jewish community do the same? And um, it, is really, uh, uh, will it, it will be an important addition to Jewish life in Germany. Its presence is an expression of the desire to encourage Jewish voices and perspectives in our debates and discourse while increasing interaction with the non-Jewish population. Not only in Frankfurt, but also in several other German cities, Berlin, Hamburg, Potsdam, Dessau and elsewhere, prominently located Jewish building projects, synagogues, a Jewish campus, a library, etc., cultural centers are underway. This makes Jewish life more visible and more firmly anchored, also in physical terms, as normal part of our daily lives. Jewish life is part of our society, and uh, uh, that, of course, um, is important, but don't understand me wrong. They may serve as... They, they may, may, um, they may serve as tools to fight anti-Semitism, but they also serve a broader purpose in society. Fighting anti-Semitism is an ongoing task for all of us. I'm glad that we have many allies in the family of European states and beyond, 
and I am very grateful for that. And one thing, and this is my last sentence, is clear. The way a society deals with anti-Semitism is now and will continue to be a test for our democracy. Thank you for your attention. Thank you very much, Dr. Klein. And in thanking you, I would like to very much thank also our good friends in the German Embassy for their support of this event and their very generous support of many other occasions organised by HEI during the, during the year. I'd also like to explain maybe a little bit about how we will manage the rest of the evening. And I am going to, in a minute, invite my good friends and colleagues, Robert Gerworth and Mark Jones, who, like myself, are members of the Trustees of, the Holo of Holocaust Education Ireland, to join me here on the panel to, uh, here to moderate those questions. And afterwards, we will be joined when we've had a chance, when Dr. Klein has had a chance to answer those questions, we'll be joined also by a panel uh, of good friends, Evelyn Byrne, who's former Lord Mayor of Dublin, Robert Gerworth, who you already have joined, who's Professor of Modern History and Director of War Studies at UCD, Mark Jones, who's Assistant Professor of Global History at UCD, Tommy Reichenthal, who is a Holocaust survivor, and we're very, very glad that you're with us this evening. Tommy and Thomas Dowd, Tom Dowd, who is Chair of Holocaust Education Ireland. So first of all, we're going to, we're going to have the questions. But can I, in thanking you, thank you for a critical and very interesting, um, thought-provoking lecture that you've given us uh, a number of the points that you've made are ones that I know will resonate with people, and some of them I know are things that, in our tradition, we may have some we, we, we may have some sort of arguments about. But I think your your understanding that of the importance of it being possible to criticise policies of other states, I think is, was really a very helpful way of putting it. I'm also reminded of the 15th century experiment in Cordoba, where Jewish people and Muslim people and Christian people survived, albeit for a limited period of time, survived and flourished together. And hoping that in some way, in all parts of the world, we may be able to come to that again. But I felt that some of your comments are particularly useful when you talk about what happens not just in the school or in the university, but also in the schoolyard. When you talk about the importance of language and the terms that we use to describe things, and you're, you're speaking of the cultural contribution of the Jewish community in Germany reminded me also of not the cultural deficits, but the major cultural contribution and political contribution that has been made by a very small Jewish community here in this country. In fact, I need to tell you that the, the uh, European Union's anti-racism legislation was, in fact, promoted 
and in no small way is due to the work during the Irish presidency of a Jewish person who happened to be the Minister for Equality and Human Rights at that point in time in our country. And, and, and he did not just this country, but all of the other member states of the European Union a very great favour by promoting that legislation that, at that point in time. So alongside what happened in Limerick, I am reminded of some things that we can, we can acknowledge of the contribution of Jewish people to, to this country as Irish citizens who have promoted our, the country over the years. Now, I, I will therefore just now invite Mark and Robert to join us here and we will have the opportunity to provide you with a few questions before we're also joined by the rest of the panel. So the first question that came in uh, relates to the European Union's fight um, rather the coordinated efforts uh, between member states of the EU uh, against racism and anti-Semitism and whether more could be done, I presume, on a coordinated European level rather than just at a national level. Yeah, a, a very good question, and it's directed uh, government response to anti-Semitism. And uh, uh, I, I think we have seen a very good development uh, in the past years. There's a European strategy for the fight against anti-Semitism and for fostering Jewish life. It was presented... Um, in uh, late 2021. Uh, there is an EU coordinator at the Commission, a colleague of mine, Katharina von Schnurbein, who has done tremendous work. Uh, she has established a, a working group uh, of the Commission where uh, government representatives from all member states and representatives from the Jewish community uh, gather every six months to talk about the issue and to coordinate um, uh, the, the, the issues. This is very good, but it's not enough, certainly. I think it is important that we, that we get also in the European Council a mechanism uh, that regularly um, deals with anti-Semitism. So a, a EU working group um, that, for instance, the, the working group um, of, of judiciary and the interior, the so-called FREM working group, that obliges then ministers of the interior or of, uh, of justice to gather every six, every six months when they gather to talk about anti-Semitism, that they are forced to deal with the subject because talking about it is already a first step into the right direction. So we need to establish, we need to establish more structures also on the European um, level. I think it, it would be very important also to um, establish a mechanism on, on, the compar on comparable data on, on anti-Semitic incidents and crimes, which is not the case. This is a national... Every, every state counts its anti-Semitism in a national way. It should be more coordinated. And I think we should establish also... Um, uh, uh, not a mechanism, but a, uh, we should st start an initiative in developing a European remembrance culture. I think this would be very, very interesting... Um, because, after all, the European Union is a response to the horrors of the Second World War. And I think more than 77 years after the end of the Second World War, we, are, uh, we, we would be well um, advised, I think, to, to develop uh, uh, a way, of course, um, Europeans look at these horrors. And um, there are initiatives um, on the way, but um, more could be done, I think. 
Could I just ask maybe that you would focus on the questions because I'm, I'm noting that some of them are quite Irish-focused and I'd like my co other colleagues to be here for those ones. So can I ask you to focus on the... And can I, can, can I just also say... I'm supposed to stay quiet, I know, at this stage, but I'm very bad at that. But can I also re re remind us that there, there, there is actually, at, at European Union level at the moment, a five-year... There is supposed to be a five-year plan to address racism. And I think that your, your comments are very well stand very well, Dr. Klein, but there is also a need for to step up within the European Union our commitments around racism, and perhaps this is something that each of the member states, including our own, needs to play a little bit more of an active part in. in well, in, very much in that spirit, I will go straight to the, the next question, which is partially already being addressed, which is, but, but we should raise it again. Should there be more of a focus on anti-Semitism in school curriculum. Um, and if I could add to that, I mean, you, you noted in your lecture that, you know, a German school child would first encounter imagery of Jews either through seeing anti-Semitic images reproduced from the 1930s from Der Sturmer or pictures of uh, bodies in camps and that this image will remain with them and shape the way they think about and associate images with, with, um, of Judaism in, in, for the rest of their lives. I imagine that's quite similar. In an Irish context, Irish school, school books would, 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 would be the same. Um, how can we go about changing that? You, you've suggested that we need to celebrate Jewish life um, and present more positive images, images of, of Jews alongside those images, um, if we present them alongside those images, is it going to be the case that the power of the anti-Semitic imagery and the power of the images of violence will ultimately stick in children's minds for longer? Um, and and you know, as a, as a follow-on uh, kind of point to that, I think I was in a discussion with colleagues in Berlin about contents of a museum and the argument was made that we could not include images of anti-Semitic images from the past as part of an educational program about educating people about the dangers of Nazism because we would be reproducing those images. Is that a view that you think we should stick with? Yeah, well, of course, it's, uh, it's a very um, interesting development in this, uh, in this area. Of course, we, we have to inform about the Holocaust, of course. I mean, these things are reality of the, of the, of the history, but... Uh, uh, in the 19th, for instance, nobody in Germany knows that uh, 30%, uh, one third of all the Nobel Prizes uh, before 1933 were awarded to German scientists, and out of this third, one third went to Jewish scientists, for instance. Incredible. And uh, uh, so when we talk about the 19th century and the, and the um, uh, integration of, Jewish, of the Jewish population and uh, also the way they... Uh, acted as artists, as uh, novelists, as uh, uh, industrialists, etc. This, this should be more, more known. And then I think if you know that first, then you, uh, you can understand it better um, uh, to, to, yeah, to, to understand how, how come that this very well-integrated minority was persecuted in such a, such a way. But uh, we should get out of this um, uh, idea of having... Jews being always being seen as, as victims, but they were actors for for many for a long time of our history, and uh, I think if we um, 
If, if we change that, uh, we, we will have a positive effect. Another thing uh, in, in Germany is uh, we have religion is a, is a subject in schools. And uh, when you see sometimes also there are pictures, uh, you know, Jesus is always designed uh, as a white person, very, uh, well, of course, as, as the son of God, more or less, and the Jewish, the Jews uh, designed around him, many religion books in Germany are uh, very negatively uh, drawn, and uh, we should question that and uh, should have more... Uh, uh, more uh, uh, modern and, and of course, no, no images that uh, uh, also by random also actually uh, confirm stereotypes rather than um, uh, rather than uh, getting rid of them. So uh, this is really uh, I have uh, many examples of, of religion books where that really are, are terrible that are still in use, and so we should um, actually in Germany we set up a, a working group that um, revises all the school books now. And uh, this is absolutely necessary. Yeah, we have a, another question here um, in relation to the changes that occurred to uh, anti-Semitism um, since the end of the Second World War. We see this is a very big kind of uh, open question, but perhaps you could very briefly um, pinpoint to some of the ways in which anti-Semitism has changed its, its forms, its shapes, but also perhaps its carriers since um, 1945 and perhaps also in more recent years, because I assume that the, um, the fight against anti-Semitism, as you said early on, also requires an identification of the actual problem. So who, who is spreading anti-Semitism? What are their motives? How are they coming towards that subject? And then you basically try to develop a strategy to defeat it. Um, so maybe you could just very briefly sketch out some of the major changes that have occurred um, in anti-Semitism since, yeah, since 1945. Well, uh, to start, that answer is it's always the same anti-Semitism. The, um, the search for a guilt. For a guilty, uh, you, you need to find a person who is responsible for negative developments. Scapegoat, uh, yeah, people who uh, Jews were blamed to uh, spread uh, the plague in the Middle Ages uh, because there had to be some explanation uh, for, and and this um, this is a very human thing to to look uh, for a guilty person, and so in that uh, respect, it is not um, very surprising that in in the COVID nineteen pandemic, in times of crisis, people are more. Um, uh, endangered to, to believe uh, conspiracy myths, and, and uh, uh, this is uh, absolutely natural. So it's always the same anti-Semitism, and it even uh, and uh, this, after the Second World War, of course, we had a, a major development in that field: the creation of the state of Israel, uh, and that led to the fact that the Israel-related anti-Semitism is the most common form. I've quoted a couple of examples, and it, and it started right away with uh, the creation of Israel. And if you recall, uh, in 1948, the Arab states attacked Israel and lost the war against Israel. And the explanation, particularly in Arab states, was, yeah, because the lobby of Eastern, Eastern Coast Jews in the United States made uh, the U.S. government in helping the Israelis and uh, 
So again, a, a small group of powerful Jews uh, were responsible, uh, did a conspiracy, and uh, kind of hit the, the, the Arab nations. So immediately with, this, with the creation of, of the State of Israel, we had that form uh, too, and it is, it is very common. It always uh, finds new, new forms, and uh, uh, of course, it's a very common um, form of anti-Semitism. I also quoted is to compare the actions of Israeli governments or of the Israeli army with what the Wehrmacht did uh, in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, this is, uh, uh, this is, these are the major forms, and uh, it, will, it will continue, unfortunately. Uh, the, so the search for, for, for someone who is responsible will go on, and uh, I, uh, I, I'm pessimistic uh, that even if, you know, for instance, the, 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 the fact that President Zelensky made his Jewish origin public will lead to, to, to growing anti-Semitism. If the war, hopefully, when, when the war will be over there, uh, he will be, or Jews will be made responsible for the way then uh, the peace settlements will, will, will be worked out. This is absolutely because some people will be unhappy and will look for another, for, for another responsible person. So unfortunately, this, uh, this poison will, will continue to be there. Thank you. Now, I'm conscious there is another question, but I'm also a little bit conscious of the time. So I think I'm going to invite the others to join us on the panel and then we can take maybe the last question as well. So can I ask Professor Tom Dowd, Evelyn Giblin and Tommy Reichenthal to please join us here and we can take the other questions. So the, the, the last question that I can, can see is, is um, relates to what we've just been speaking about and is anti-Semitism flourishing because it is able to hide in conspiracy theories? Well, the answer is very short. Yes, this is one of the, one of the reasons why anti-Semitism is so successful, because it can, it can be easily hidden and uh, it, is, it is able to hide, yes. So this is very clear. Indeed. And I'm very conscious that many of the questions and also much of what you've been saying, Dr. Klein, has resonances for, our, for us here and all for, also for much of the work that Holocaust Education Ireland has been undertaken. Uh, and in acknowledging that work, before we go any further, I would like to acknowledge also Lynn Jackson and all of the people who have uh, worked so hard to create the conditions for the Trust to flourish and also those who worked so hard to put together tonight's lecture. And to acknowledge also the support that uh, Holocaust Education Ireland gets from the Irish state in the process of contributing to education about the Holocaust and of memorialization as well. So we move then to the final, uh, to the final question, or, or you have answered this, my, my apologies. And I'm just wondering though, because not everybody is all that enthusiastic about these slide mechanisms, and while you are gathering your thoughts here and are recollecting on the things you'd like to say, is there any very brief question, just very brief question that anybody would like to make and I think I see uh, a colleague in the second row. Um, in recent months in Ireland we have seen the alarming rise of 
protests, of popular protests against refugees coming to Ireland. Could I ask Dr. Klein, from his German experience, do those kind of protests eventually shade into anti-Semitism? Um, I mean, from my point of view, one of, the, one of the key challenges in fighting anti-Semitism is that it's, and I think that's where that question was coming in earlier on, um, is that you're fighting, you're absolutely right that there is an essence, if you like, of anti-Semitism, but in some ways the problem is more complex because it sort of moved from being a primarily tenant of right-wing nationalist belief uh, already in the 70s to something that was perhaps even more prevalent among the extreme left, right? Bader Meinhof, for example, uh, you know, the, the, the entire supporter milieu, um, and has now become something that you find in different camps with very different historical baggage. Um, and in addition to that, of course, there is uh, also an element of... Um, anti-Semitism, which is kind of imported uh, into, into Germany with very different traditions and roots. So I think to fight that, I mean, that must be the challenge, mustn't it, to kind of recognize that, yes, there is a kind of an essence to it all, but at the same time, you're speaking to very different audiences who you're trying to convince to drop certain stereotypes. I mean, it's not a sort of one message will resolve the problem issue, is it? Thank you. you yeah, absolutely. I, I absolutely agree, of course. It's, uh, uh, and the strategic um, uh, approach to, to this, what you're, what you're saying, is for me that I always publicly say, and not, not publicly, always say, uh, we shouldn't prioritize the, the different forms of, of anti-Semitism. Although in Germany, for instance, the, the majority of the, of the crimes are attributed to the extreme right, more than 80%. And uh, this is why many people say th this is the most dangerous form of anti-Semitism. And uh, this is the wrong approach. Of course, we should fight all forms of anti-Semitism, whether they are from the extreme left or right or Islamist uh, sources, uh, because uh, otherwise you get into a really uh, odd debate on uh, where, where to prioritize. So, uh, and uh, the second, when, when we talk about uh, this um, anti-Semitism emanating from people with roots from somewhere else with immigrants, um, uh, then we uh, have to look at it as an integration challenge. Um, and to make it clear, uh, for anybody who is a migrant uh, and who wants to be successful in our society, and this person wants to be successful, of course, and we want the person, too, to be successful, uh, it's, it's necessary uh, for migrants to know the history of our country and to know that... Um, uh, anti-Semitism is not accepted in the, in the majority of our society. So you should, even if you are socialized or if you are educated in a, in a way that is very much anti-Israel or anti-Jewish, uh, uh, these people have to know that uh, they don't make a good impression if they uh, spread anti-Semitism. But it's, it's a rather an integration uh, thing and not uh, nothing else. And the uh, results are very good because if you, for instance, if you show a, a refugee from Syria... Uh, a concentration camp in, in Dachau, for instance, these people know very well what it means if you have a state without a judiciary that can help you. If, you're, if you have the police uh, and uh, if you have an autocratic regime where you cannot rely on your, on your civil rights. And uh, for instance, these, uh, 
uh, experiments are, have very positive results. I have to say, um, perhaps we, we, we need to discuss a little bit more, though, our understanding of integration rather than assimilation as well, Felix. Yes. Sorry, I, I think it's your turn. Um, there's so much to talk about. I, um, I'm going to just put my historian hat on for a second. And you, you mentioned in the previous comments that, you know, we can use examples of um, Jews integrated into German life as be, be, um, you, know, you mentioned the Nobel Prize winners as well. And, and I was just thinking of, you know, anti-Semitism in, in Germany. Um, you know, you mentioned the Limerick pogrom around 1906, 1904-1906. When I'm teaching my students here, I, the case I use is Konitz and the blood ritual accusation of 1900. It's a blood ritual a, a, um, um, trial which takes place, a, a scandal even. And between that point in time and 1913... Uh, things change. The liberal argument against anti-Semitism is gaining ascendancy, and the example I use for that is German responses to the uh, to the Bayless affair, a scandal in when in Kiev a a man is accused of um, carrying out a ritual murder, and most of liberal Western Europe condemns this as being a product of a belief system from a bygone age, something that should no longer exist in in Europe on the eve of the First World War. And then it's really after defeat in 1918 that, that anti-Semitism in Germany, in my view, accelerates. And I think most historians would agree with me. And the point I want to make now directly speaking to what you said before about um, assimilated Jews is that one of the reasons for the acceleration of anti-Semitism at that time is there's an influx of Jewish refugees. And those refugees are coming from the shatter zones of the Russian Empire. They're fleeing pogrom across a line of Central Eastern Europe, and they're coming to the Weimar Republic to seek refuge. And in different states in the Weimar Republic, they're receiving different welcomes. So this year in Bavaria, we will see the centenary of deportations of Jewish migrants to Germany that was led by um, the right-wing government of Bavaria in the year 1923. Mm -hmm. um, and if this, one of the reasons I'm drawing attention to this is because it's a very familiar story and also a very pessimistic story because when we look back at that time and read Jewish voices who are commenting on those events they're calling for the same things that you've called for in your lecture today they're calling for more education they're calling for greater measures to educate children in schools they're calling for measures to educate students German universities in the 1920s were homes of mainly elite children went to the universities at that time there were hotbeds of anti-Semitism. So they're calling for measures to, to address that. Um, they're calling for people to celebrate their Germanness, particularly the integrated German, German Jews. They're calling for legal measures uh, for the implementation of something that was introduced in 1922 called the Law for the Protection of the Republic, which means that if you burn a flag of the Weimar Republic, you will face a legal prosecution for that. Very similar to what you said about we've introduced a law to prevent people from burning Israeli flags in public demonstrations. So what we see is an awful lot of echoes, and yet it seems to, to me to be not inspiring that we can listen to these voices from the past saying that we're facing the same, same, um, the same battles, but actually somewhat pessimistic. Um, is that a view that you would share, or am I being overly pessimistic? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, we have two keys in fighting anti-Semitism. Um, uh, 
to, to inform better uh, in information and meeting, and how to say the uh, begegnung, meeting, meeting the other person. And of course, this applied 20, 100 years ago. It was the same, the same problem, of course. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, sometimes I'm also a bit frustrated when when I hear this because uh, yeah, uh, the, we know where where the story went on from 1923 to uh, 1933, and uh, that the Nazis took all that up. And yet we have to do it. We, we cannot stand inactive. We have to do it. We have to create structures. Uh, we have to react uh, also uh, on, on the anti-Semitism in, in, on, on social media, etc. So, um, uh, in the end, the, the positive um, uh, consequence I, I draw is uh, that um, the vast majority of the, of the people in Europe 80, 90% are not anti-Semitic, so they are much more than, uh, than the anti-Semitic stereotypes. And, um, and we have seen in Europe, or particularly in, in German society, that we are able to overcome very negative uh, patterns. For instance, we had also a century-old hatred against France, Erbfeindschaft. It was an absolutely uh, um, stupid concept in uh, we inherited uh, uh, we are heirs of, of the empire by uh, uh, Charles the Great, uh, Charlemagne, and uh, so the French are our enemies uh, for centuries. Uh, these um, idiotic uh, stereotypes uh, went around, and nobody in Germany hates France anymore. I mean, this is absolutely overcome. So we have proven as a society to overcome these negative uh, patterns. Thank you very much, and I think that's a very good note on which to begin to try to answer the question posed, I think, by Andy Storey, and to link that with the threads of what you're talking about. I think that term you're using, you know, inform better and meet better, is a really powerful one, both in terms of understanding uh, anti-Semitism, past and present, and also in understanding what's happening with the questions that you were raising some, a while ago with regard to refugees in Ireland at the moment. And also, I think the point that you made about it is actually a small but dangerous minority that propagates hatred globally, that racializes categories of migrants, for example, at the moment. And, and, and also, I think your message of hope and clearly pointing out where things can be overcome, I think, is really useful. And with, with those sorts of thoughts, I'm going to invite my colleagues here. Evelyn, perhaps you'd, you'd, you'd like to start. Certainly, and, and I suppose drawing on that analogy of voices from the past and, and reaching across the ages, um, I, I welcome Dr. Klein's uh, reference to a, a practical and applied approach because it's, it's really about what lessons can we draw from history that we don't make the same mistakes again and certainly what we're, what we're seeking, uh, what you describe as a safe and visible culture is really what, what we're all seeking. Um, that notion that you referred to of accepting our historical responsibility, Ireland cannot hold its head high in terms of how we approach the Jewish question during the World War, and in fact we've had our own issues with anti-Semitism, so we must, like all other nations, bear our, our share of the responsibility, and in that sense, I think we need to be very clear on that as we face into very new challenges, in many ways frightening challenges as we go forward in terms of what is happening now, not just in Ireland and in Europe, but indeed throughout the world. 
for me, one of the, the, the real frightening things about the Nazi era is about how very normal people became so easily a part of that dangerous killing machine. So the men, women and children who were victims, it was also husbands, wives, sons and daughters who were the perpetrators. So it is very easy for a society to slip from that, if you like, passive hatred, the, the caricatures that you described that we, that we see in, in a lot of the magazines, etc. of the time. Uh, so we have a, a real challenge. I, I salute Germany in the active approach that you're taking to the management of social media because I think that is giving an amplification to the smaller voices which have a, a powerfulness and a resonance that goes far beyond their numbers. And the danger is that on the one hand they relate very strongly to our younger population, perhaps a population who has not had as much experience of the past and who may be inclined to be swayed by them. So I think uh, we should be very mindful of the amplification that the loud voices of the extremists has on social media. Unfortunately, we do not have as many Maryams as we would like to have, and therefore it does behove us to work in our communities, and I think that's the level, it's that, going back to that practical and applied level that you're talking about, we need to reach out into every community, and there is wonderful work being done in very small communities. It's not getting the same voice as those who are protesting loudly, but I think it's back to the fact that none of us can afford in the current crisis to become bystanders. If we do, then we will become either victims or perpetrators, as has happened in the past. Tom, would you like to comment on this? Yeah, I was just thinking uh, while you were, uh, in your last sentence, you know, a test for democracy. We are having a test. Uh, I was walking my dog in the park this morning, and the park keeper lavished attention on my dog and then started becoming critical about uh, immigrants. Mm. And I thought this was a, a, an impressionable person uh, who was clearly affected by the discourse uh, that's going on. And I think in Ireland we are affected uh, by discourse and by methodologies, racist methodologies that are tried and tested in other countries. And our systems, our police and our legislators are not up to speed with the uh, kind of um, rottenness that can go on in that uh, 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 far-right uh, methodologies that have been tried, tried in anti-Semitism, tried in, uh, on the vulnerable, really. And um, that's why I, I would dearly like to see your uh, practical uh, suggestions, actually, uh, if, if there was any way they could be published in... Uh, one of our newspapers, because some of what you say is uh, giving us uh, practical coat hangers of which we could help our legislators uh, to become more alert to that, that kind of man that I met this morning who's um, clearly impressionable but quite dangerous if there are a number of people like him. Thank you. And Tommy, you lived through a very long time, lived through the horrors of the past and have lived through and are, are living with the present as well. Is there something you would like to say? Well, I would, of course. I mean, uh, we must remember that uh, anti-Semitism and persecution of Jews didn't start today. It goes back hundreds of years. 
and it's no point talking about the past. Uh, things are happening today. And I never forget, uh, after the liberation, when we come home, uh, I was born in Slovakia, uh, the, we coined this uh, saying, never again. But can we say this today, but uh, after all, what is happening? When I arrived to Ireland uh, in the end of 1959, 60, uh, uh, there were very few foreigners here. And uh, Ireland was, of course, neutral in the world. So the young people did not uh, learn and heard much about the Holocaust. And at the time, I discovered very quickly when I asked somebody, what you know about the Holocaust? They, they would sort of shake their head and say, uh, six million Jews. Uh, perished. I, I, of course, don't like the expression of perished, they were murdered. And uh, I didn't speak uh, about my experiences uh, for over 50 years, not because I didn't want to speak about it, I just couldn't. But it was uh, thanks to the Holocaust education of Ireland that when they started uh, um, uh, helping in the uh, education, and I, I consider education about anti-Semitism, and not only anti-Semitism, racism uh, and bigotry. It, it's a, a, something that has to be educated. People have to be educated so that we don't repeat the mistake we did before. And it was in uh, 2003 that I first time started to talk about the uh, Holocaust. And uh, uh, it was very difficult for me because I, I was very emotionally involved with it. But I said I have to speak. The curriculum in the school was that they learned about the Holocaust within the Second World War. So they devoted for Holocaust, maybe half an hour or an hour uh, within the Second World War, they mentioned the Holocaust. And so the student do, knew very little. And of course, then uh, uh, I started to speak, and since then I spoke to well over 120,000 students, a whole generation of students about the Holocaust, and I must say, my experience in Ireland is very good as far as uh, anti-Semitism goes. I must say that uh, I never experienced anti-Semitism, despite the fact that I spoke to these students in the colleges, universities, adult students, and uh, I never felt any anti-Semitic uh, outburst or... Thing. But unfortunately, in Ireland, we have a problem, and this is the media problem. And uh, uh, Jew, the word Jew, is a dirty word. So you don't mention Jews, but if you want to attack the Jews, you're talking about Zionists and uh, Israeli murderers, and once and twice I got the question, uh, how... Uh, 
you explain uh, what you went through, what the German did to you, and now you're doing it to the Palestinians. Even the, the comparison was uh, terrible uh, to hear. Of course, I always uh, uh, separated what the Holocaust was and what is happening in politics today. But through the media, by blaming uh, uh, anti-Semitism, it's the modern way to spread the true the world like Zionist and Israeli government, and so on. And unfortunately, we have a little bit uh, anti-Semitism still going on here. But what is worse, of course, and I think somebody mentioned it here, it's the demonstration today uh, against the um, uh, refugees, which is, uh, of course, very sad from the point of Ireland, and I, I don't think the government is very pleased with it. It gives us a very bad name out of Ireland, and of course, um, uh, we're not talking now about anti-Semitism, but we're talking about racism and, and uh, other things. So the education of uh, Holocaust is very important for the young people. And that's what I'm doing. And as, as, as I mentioned before, I didn't speak about it for over 50 years, but now they can't stop me to speak about it. <laughs> it's very important that the young people learn. And uh, as I said, uh, uh, Anti-Semitism, racism, bigotry, ignorance is all in the same basket. And we have to teach our young people that we must not allow such a thing to grow. Uh, I want also just to say, I, I coined a, a saying as well, uh, which, which is, uh, I always mention to the student, Holocaust did not start with a gas chamber. Holocaust started with whisper. And we have to stop anything happening before it gets out of hand, because when you really find out that things are no good, it might be too late. And this demonstration here today, we have to stop it now, not to let it uh, uh, happen. And we have to have a right laws in the government that have to be introduced regarding the anti-Semitism, regarding the uh, racism, and so on. So this is important. That's the work of the government. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tommy. <laughs> just, by, just by way of adding to what you've said, I think that the the, um, the work with the young people is crucial by way of looking at and responding to that question about what can we do. I think your comment of informing better and meeting better and creating the conditions where uh, before the protests begin that there, that there is better information, better meeting, 
And maybe we could also look for some more political leadership. I, I think our civil servants are doing the best they can, but maybe we need a bit more political leadership in order to reinforce the messages. I have to say, as someone who works with communities, I am uh, very encouraged by the extent to which local communities are prepared to respond, are prepared to hear messages, are interested in the issues, are interested in anti-Semitism also. And I think, I think that's, what we, that's what we need to build. We need to take our own courage, maybe. The courage that we need to address anti-Semitism is the same courage that we need to address the other uh, forms of oppression and the forms of racism that, uh, that are happening in our, in, in our midst. Now, I'm conscious of the time, and I would like to give our... Our, our speaker, an opportunity for some final words before we go to the vote of thanks from the Chair of Holocaust Education Ireland, Tom Dowd. So, Felix, would you like to say some concluding remarks? Yeah, well, remarks? thank you very much for, for inviting me. I think this is a, an ongoing and permanent, never-ending task we are facing. Also, in view of your, uh, of your comments, what happened 100 years ago in, in German universities, so we are still facing these problems, and yet we have to do it. It's for ourselves. It's not only for the Jewish community, but it's for our future uh, we are fighting. And uh, um, it's uh, very interesting also for me to hear about the situation in Ireland. And uh, I take many things home also as inspiration from here, from the situation. Um, and uh, we should continue. So uh, all the best also for your work and uh, that you as a survivor go and uh, educate and go to schools. This is fantastic. And Please continue. Thank you very much. I do want to thank you for the preparation uh, that you put into the lecture uh, for us. Uh, uh, I think there's very, very few speakers, I think, uh, quote from the Inish Fallon. So thank you very much for the amount of work you put into it. It's very thought-provoking. And I do hope uh, it gets a wider audience. We will try, I think, with the podcast... Uh, to uh, promote it in that way. But I do think it would be important that our legislators, uh, I think, see the practical uh, things that you have itemised. I think that would be very important for us. So I don't know uh, how we can go about that, but I do think it would be important. Uh, the Irish state have given us this splendid uh, surroundings, so we're grateful uh, for that. And our friends in UCD who support the... Holocaust Education Ireland. Uh, I'm very grateful for that. And I do want to echo uh, Anastasia's comments about the German embassy and the ambassador and the staff who've been steadfast in their support of uh, HEI. So thank you for that. And of course, Tommy, where would we be without Tommy? So thank you again for coming along and uh, speaking so passionately and well. Um, and to Anastasia and the panel, it's, I think it's been a very interesting format, a very good discussion, a very thorough discussion. Uh, so thank you all very much for coming along and for the questions as well. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this History Hub podcast. History Hub is based at the School of History at University College Dublin. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to historyhub.com dot IE.